Paul um, is writing to young Timothy, who has apparently been recruited to be a leader in the early church. So what we have here is a snippet of a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And, and so what we have here is sort of the, the first stage of leadership in the church writing to the second stage. The old guard writing to the new guard. And there's a mentoring tone to this letter. Paul's writing uh, Timothy uh, to encourage him. It's in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. The word of the Lord. Well, when you uh, read this slowly, you know, what it sounds like is that Timothy wants to quit. Young Timothy wants to get out. I mean, the only time you use the word rekindle, Paul says rekindle the gift of God that is within you, You only need to rekindle something if it's about to go out. So something's about to go out in Timothy. He's about to lose it or he's about to quit or he's been challenged somehow. We don't know how. And his mentor, Paul, writes him these words of encouragement. I've lost count how many times I wanted to quit in the ministry, 38 years. And then I read Paul's statement in Romans about himself when he writes, I do not understand my own actions. Have you ever felt that way? I don't understand me. (laughs) That's what Paul's saying. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, we understand that in alcoholics and drug addicts because I want to stop drinking and I want to stop taking drugs, but I just don't do it. I, I, I end up taking them and I take the very thing, I do the very thing I hate. 
But for the rest of us, is this true? And Paul says, I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I don't want. It's what I do. And then he says this, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin and death? Now, when I read that, I think, well, that's the great apostle Paul. What are my chances of making it? Slim. Paul's struggling with his inner nature and his spiritual nature and his humanity and who he is as a person and who he's supposed to be as a Christian. And part of me goes, thank God he had that struggle. It means I'm not the only one. There's been plenty of times I've wanted to quit with Timothy, and there's been plenty of good reasons. There are some aggravating um, church people. Now, none of them are here at First Church, but I've heard about them in other churches. It's also hard to measure success in ministry. And sometimes we do it by saying, oh, we had, you know, I have a 4,800-member church and 1,200 in attendance and a $6 million budget, and that's success. Really? You can have 4,800 people, a $6 million budget, and 1,200 in worship, and nothing's happening there. Or the wrong thing's happening there. How do you measure success in ministry? I I do some consulting for some young clergy um, in different parts of the country. And when I'm talking, one of them uh, is in Georgia. And I was talking to him this past week about some issues in his church. And he said, Steve, I renovated my kitchen. I said, well, that's great. He said, yeah, and you know, I'm doing it myself. I said, well, that's really good. And he said, I just wish that I had you know, something in ministry that I could actually do and finish and look at it and realize I did it and it's successful and it's completed. But he said in ministry, those opportunities are very rare. Renovating a kitchen is easier than doing ministry. It's hard to know if you've been successful. Will this sermon change your life? I don't know. I'll never know. So we've had altar calls in the past in evangelical churches, and we count how many people come down. We count how many people at church. We count the budget, trying to find a way to find success, but it's tough. I understand why Timothy wanted to quit. It's a volunteer organization, too. Um, Nobody in a church has to do anything. They're all volunteers. And you can't fire them. I've tried. (laughs) So if they want to be there, they are. If they can't be there, they're not. You know, they're at the mountains, at the beach. They're at a ball game. I couldn't make the meeting. I'm sorry I didn't get that done. I do have my life. I have work. I have a family. And the church is, you know, a volunteer group. I understand why Timothy wanted to quit. It's hard to keep people motivated, keep them at the table. And then there's this relentless amount of sickness and death in ministry. You know, you might have one sickness in your family or one death in your family, but those of us who work in a church, we have six families with cancer, two deaths, more people being diagnosed, 
It's a constant barrage of sickness and death. And it eats on you over a period of time. I understand why Timothy wanted out. There's the redundancy of the calendar year. I mean, there's Advent and Christmas, and the church folks don't even understand what Advent is. They think it's about getting ready, you know, for the baby Jesus. Advent's about the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus. And nobody wants to talk about that while everybody's singing, dashing through the snow on a one-horse open sleigh, you know. And so we think, well, Advent's getting ready for baby Jesus. Look, folks, he already came. He ain't coming back. We're looking for the adult Jesus to end the world in victory for God. That's Advent. So church professionals, musicians, preachers, we're trying to do one thing at Advent, and church folks are trying to do another thing. Makes you want to quit. Then there's Lent, Easter, summer slump, start it back up in the fall, stewardship campaigns. Lord, I've done 38 of them. I I thought Jesus paid for my sins, but I keep having to do it. And then you do it all over again the next year, the next year, and there's, there's a, you're on a loop. Your new minister who's coming one day, before Jesus gets back. (laughs) Maybe. You know, your search committee's working very, 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 very hard, and they're doing a very, very good job. That's a tough job. But when your new minister comes, I'll guarantee you there were days when your new pastor wanted to quit. And if not, you'll give them good reason to. I understand why young Timothy wanted to get out, but here's what I also understand. I understand why some people who aren't in the ministry or just, you know, or Christians, baptized Christians, sometimes want to just kind of leave the faith. I'm done being a Christian. Prayers aren't answered. I asked God to heal my dad. My dad died. I asked God to intervene in my marriage and help me fix my marriage, and she left me. I asked, my, I asked God to fix my son who's been going through a tough time and he's still going through a tough time. In fact, it's even worse. I think this whole thing's a hoax. Do you realize this? The fastest growing religious category in the United States of America, the fastest growing category are nuns. N-O-N-E-S. Meaning, what category do you see yourself as a religious person? None. You know who those nuns are? Your adult children. Why are people falling out of the back door of the church? Why are they falling out of the windows? Why are we losing them? Why do the Timothys quit? I understand it. There's a disappointment in ministry where you pray and you hope and you pray and you hope and you pray and you hope and you hope and you you pray. And after a while you get tired and I think even Jesus felt that fatigue and I think he felt that disappointment as he hung on the cross and asked that 
that powerful question, oh God, why have you forsaken me of all people? I think Christians pray that prayer. Why have you forsaken me? To be a true Christian in this modern culture is to be countercultural, is to go against the grain. You can't be like everybody else. You can't think like everybody else. You can't talk like everybody else. You can't talk about politics like everybody else. You can't talk about other people like everybody else. If you are a Christian following Jesus Christ, your life should look different. It's just easier to get in the stream and go along with everybody else. So I know why Timothy quits. It's tough. It's hard to keep the faith. But here's old Paul. He's working on this young man. He won't let him go. He's not going to let him just quit. And thank God for the people who have been Paul for me. On the days I wanted to quit. And the folks who have been Paul and Pauline for you on the days that you wanted to quit. Because they're the saints. They're the people who have done the work of God on this earth by supporting those of us who wanted to get out of the march. Paul pulls out the big guns with Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And I can almost see Timothy going, I'm not so sure my faith is all that sincere. Well, I think it is, said Paul. I remember that faith. And then he said that first lived in your grandmother, Lois. Oh my gosh, he's playing the grandmother card. And he calls her out by name, Lois. And I remember that faith that was in your mother, Eunice. And now I'm sure lives in you, Timothy. So in other words, if you want to quit, if you want to abandon your faith, if you want to give up on this kind of apocalyptic life we all live, Go ahead. All you have to do is go tell your grandmother you want to quit. Well, I can't go tell Nana that I'm going to quit, that I'm going to not be a Christian anymore, that I'm going to stop church, that I'm going to jump out of the ministry. I can't tell her. And Paul probably said, well, okay, well, then then go tell your mother. Well, I, I, I can't tell my mom. I can't tell mama I'm going to quit. Why not, said Paul? Well, because they have too much invested in me. They've hoped for me. They've prayed for me. They pray for me every day, Paul. They pray for me. They hope for me. They want for me. They wish for me. They ask me how I'm doing. They pray for me. No, I cannot go and tell Nana and Mama that I'm quitting. And Paul probably went, yeah, I kind of thought that was about the way it was. The wisdom of Paul. You know what he did? He called out the saints. He called out the saints. Go tell the saints you're going to quit. Who are the saints for you? Who's been Eunice and Lois in your life? 
For me, it's been Everett and Helen. I want to say their name on All Saints Day. That's my parents. I remember saying to my dad when I was a young man that I was fed up with ministry. I'm fed up with the church. I'm fed up with church people. I should have been a lawyer like I wanted to be to start with. And my dad would say, are you done now? And I'd go, yes, sir, I'm done. He said, good, now maybe God can do something. I hated it when he said that. (laughs) Because now maybe if you'll get out of the way, God can do something. Those are the saints. That's the Eunice and the Lois who blow on those embers that are about to go out to help you stay in the game. My mother, Helen, my Aunt Gladys, God bless her. My wife, Catherine, she is a saint. You've already figured that out, right? She lives with me. That's not funny. (laughs) Shep, who opened the door for me to become a Presbyterian, and his wife was sitting right here last Sunday. What an honor. It's great to see her here. Bill Hedrick, Pastoral Counseling Center in Norfolk, who kept pushing on me to grow up, to let go, to change. That's a saint. Bob and Freddie, along with every single congregation I've been in, including you, where people have pushed me to either keep going or to get better or to not be satisfied with the way things are because they are fulfilling their baptismal promises made to me on January 6, 1954, in a teeny little country church in Cresswell, North Carolina, and every church I've ever been a part of has kept that promise. Saints. They're all saints. You know, when you come to the end of your journey, when you die and we have your funeral, they're not going to remember your accomplishments. They're going to remember the relationship they had with you. When my dad died, um, 15 years ago, I guess, and we were at the funeral uh, after it was over, they lined the family up and everybody came through, you know how they do, and it just dawned on me, everybody who came through, not one person said, and my dad was a minister, nobody came through and said, your dad raised the budget in our church from X to X. Not one person. Not one person came through and said, your father built 17 new buildings, church buildings, in his career over time and and added to the church. Not not one. Your, Your dad increased the membership of our church. Nope. Every single last one of those people who came through shook my hand and told me a story about how my dad had been either Lois or Eunice in their life. That's what they're going to remember. Nobody's going to remember how much money you made or what your annual income is. Nobody's going to mention that when you die. Nobody. Nobody's going to say what kind of car you drove. Nobody's going to say any of the accomplishments you've made in life. You know what they're going to say? He was a Eunice to me. He was a Lois to me. He stood with me when I couldn't stand. He stood with me when nobody else would stand. She prayed for me every single day of my life. 
That's all they remember. It makes you think we're wasting our time on the rest of that junk, doesn't it? Go to your funeral, figure out what's important, then back your life up and live like that. There it is. A Paul, a Eunice. And I bet Timothy became an encourager for others. A friend of mine, um, Freddie, is a recovering alcoholic and a drug addict, and he's been in, in jail and a little bit of everything else. And years ago, I hired him on a, I rolled the dice on him. And I kicked the door open for him, and you can't believe what this guy's done with his life. I'd love to have him come and talk to you. I'm running out of time here, but I mean, if I was staying, I'd love to have Freddie come. He's graduating from Queens University in May. He totally turned his life around. He's been sober 28 years. Every Christmas Eve, he gives me a chip from Alcoholics Anonymous. I have 28 AA chips in my desk drawer. When I die, somebody's going to think I'm a recovering alcoholic. But it's okay. Every Christmas Eve, and he worked for us at Myers Park, he would come into my office between some of the services and he'd say, here you go, chief, another year. And I got that chip as a Christmas present. Can you think of a better Christmas present than that? I kicked the door open for Freddie, and Freddie took advantage of it. You can't imagine how many doors he's kicked open for other people. Eunice, Lois, Paul, supporting people who want to quit, who don't think they can make it anymore, who, who don't measure up, who are sick of this mess. And they want to go do something else. They check none well, I know you want to check none. I, I know. There's been days I want to do it. Maybe you just need to go tell your grandmama you want to quit. Well, I can't do that. Freddie gave me a poem. And um, he had it shellacked. It hangs in my um, house in Brevard. The author's unknown. When things go wrong, as they sometimes will, and when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high, and when you want to smile but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns, and many a failure turns about when he might have won had he just stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with just one more blow. Success is failure turned inside out the silver tint of the clouds of doubt, and you never can tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you mustn't quit. 
Why do you think he gave that poem to me? Because I wanted to quit. He knew it. And he'd been there a million times. And every Christmas Eve, I get that chip. He even mailed it to me here in Richmond last Christmas Eve. I couldn't believe it. It's the lowest Eunice principle. The saints. Paul says to young Timothy to rekindle the gift that is within you. In other words, blow on the embers until there's a flame. Don't let that fire go out, Timothy. Don't quit. Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your hope. Don't lose your love. You are numbered among the saints of God. That's a powerful paragraph in the Bible. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the saints who have carried us along our way and for the grace given to us at times to be a saint, to carry others. Through Christ who carried us all, through his death and resurrection, we pray. Amen.